0: I want to make one thing perfectly clear. This show is not about lumberjacks. My name is Christopher Grundland, and every month I share a story. Sometimes the stories contain truths, but most of the time they're made up. Sometimes the stories are funny. Other times they're serious. But you have my word about one thing. I will never, ever share a story about lumberjacks. This time, a man who talks to birds believes he can do something wonderful if only he can fix a broken radio found in a dumpster. Alright, let's get to work. Fly Me to the Moon Madman Morgan thinks the moon is full of ghosts. All the people he ever knew, all the people everyone ever knew, dancing on the surface, shining down upon us all. When the moon is full, he stands before St. Louis Cathedral, shouting, LOOK UP THERE! DON'T YOU SEE THEM?! He repels the passing crowds like opposing magnets. They give wide berth and continue toward the bars and clubs near Bourbon Street, maybe complaining about the city's homeless problem along the way. One night he shouts at the crowds and someone listens. A 19-year-old from Baton Rouge armed with a fake ID and a thirst for absinthe. She reeks of patchouli, and while she's more comfortable in the safety of her dorm at LSU, she feels more at home in New Orleans and visits whenever she can. While she believes she's connected to things on a different level somehow, it's little more than youthful naivety, and she will abandon all she believes during her later 20s when she's offered a career in California. But tonight she wants to listen. She stops and looks up at the sky with Madman Morgan. I don't see them, she says. What are you looking at? She closes her eyes and tries tuning in. She tries connecting so she can understand Morgan like nobody else ever has before. He points up to the moon with dirty fingers and says, up there, they're everywhere. Can't you see them all glowing? She looks hard, wanting to see whatever it is Madman Morgan sees, but the only thing above is a swollen moon. The light makes her squint, and suddenly she feels guilty for coming down to the city in search of booze and forced mood instead of studying for an exam she has on Monday. I'm sorry, I, I don't see them, she says as her patience wanes. She wants to leave. This isn't as much fun as she thought it would be. There's something wrong with this man something deep inside that makes her sad. She gives Morgan a $5 bill to stave off her guilt, and then, like so many others, makes her way toward Bourbon Street. She doesn't turn back to look at him as she goes. She doesn't hear Morgan whisper, Can't you see them? Can't you see my wife? So what do you think? Madman Morgan says to a fat pigeon eating a piece of sourdough bread from a muffaletta. Morgan has a broken radio and an idea. Do you think it'll work? He found the radio in a dumpster behind a nice little tourist trap of a restaurant. Fat pigeons and mad homeless men don't mind tourists. If they had their way, every place in town would be swarming with out-of-town visitors. Morgan may be mad, but he knows that where food and tourists mingle, there is waste and plump pigeons aren't the only creatures in the area sustained by the hard ends of broken sandwiches. Madman Morgan believes that if he can fix the radio, that he can talk to the ghosts on the moon. He thinks that if he can fix the radio, for the first time in ten years, he'll be able to talk to his wife. (laughs) Madman Morgan used to fix brains. With years of study at Tulane and the steadiest hands in Orleans Parish, if Humpty Dumpty fell off a wall, as long as he only broke his crown, Morgan Duchesne, M.D., could put him back together again. Morgan had everything. The job, the house, the cars, and most of all, a lovely wife named Claire. They vacationed on private islands, attended formal parties in the mansions of powerful politicians, and dined in the finest restaurants, the kind some rube visiting from Milwaukee would never find in any tourist guide. Life couldn't be more perfect. They lived a fairy tale until the year something grabbed his wife and refused to let go. Morgan watched Claire disappear, slowly at first when the first tumor appeared, and then faster as more arrived. Rogue cells that worked over like a vicious gang, getting a finger hold and then ripping and ripping and ripping until there was nothing left to tear apart. Morgan and his colleagues couldn't put his wife back together again. When Morgan's brain went on vacation, it wasn't the result of tumors, any physical illness. He simply went mad, abandoning everything he once had. He refused help and after losing everything, disappeared to the streets. Those who once knew and respected him now look the other way when he stands in the street, yelling at the moon. This is how Madman Morgan sees it. When someone dies, their body sits beneath the ground, or may be cremated and returned to the earth, or placed on a shelf, thinking about their life until the full moon comes around. Those who need more time to think die during the waning moon, giving them more time with their thoughts and those who had it all together are taken closer to the full moon. The evening his wife died, the moon hung heavy and bright in the sky, seemingly as large as an apple even at its apex. When the moon is full, Morgan believes the upload occurs. Millions of souls ascending to join those who walked before, to dance and live in harmony on its glowing surface. Someday he will join them, someday he'll dance with his wife again. Morgan has a broken radio but no tools, and only the advice of a fat pigeon more interested in looking for crumbs than offering suggestions. I see how it is, he says to the bird. You're no better than those damn grackles. It's spooky the way those things look at you. Not all dumb and stupid like you. The pigeon cocks its head, as though trying to comprehend Morgan's words and figure out if it had really just been insulted by a dirty man who smells like armpits in the Mississippi River. It's like they know something, but they're not about to let go of their knowledge. Damn greedy grackles. He takes the radio and sets off to find some tools, but all he finds in dumpsters anymore are papers, soured food, and the occasional broken appliance. Doesn't anybody throw away anything good anymore, he says to neither human nor bird. Talking, even to himself, is comforting. He doesn't feel so alone when he speaks. Tools. Where can I find some tools? Thomas Patterson builds things. A high school dropout, he's good with a drill and swings a mean hammer. He has great balance and no fear of heights. He hates his boss, though, and he hates his job framing houses, apartments, and strip malls. Sometimes, like today, it's not so bad, doing a restoration gig, making sure old New Orleans doesn't fall apart into a pile of old wood, bricks, and mortar. Morgan waits until Thomas is eating lunch with his colleagues. A memory flashes in Morgan's brain like a tiny lightning strike. He used to eat lunch with colleagues, too, but now his only company is madness and flocks of dirty birds that refuse to accept them as one of their own. Morgan waits until the crew's attention is focused more on bologna sandwiches and greasy potato chips than their tool belts, drills, and hammers. Morgan races down the street carrying Thomas's drill, a yellow plastic case, and a hammer. He doesn't know how long he's been running. He doesn't concern himself with things like that. The only clock he follows is the moon, and he knows the lines of communication will open wide tonight during the upload. If he can fix his radio, he can talk to his wife. It's getting dark and Madman Morgan hasn't had any luck. His council of wings has flown off to the safety of treetops for the night, and even after using the screwdriver bit to carefully open the radio like a black plastic skull, he's not getting a signal. Juice. I need juice, he mumbles. He knows where he can find an outlet, a place to plug the radio in, behind a restaurant skirting the square. Town's nothing more than eateries throwing away wrappers and spoons, goddammit. Madman Morgan gets edgy when he's in a hurry. Soon the moon will rise. Soon he will talk to his wife, maybe remember more about who he really is. Maybe he'll even get it all back if he can only remember what it was he lost in the first place. His wife will tell him everything. He's sure about that. The dumpsters are clear of others like him. They all come out later after the restaurants have closed searching for a free meal. The coast is clear and he plugs the radio in just in time for the moon's climb through the sticky night sky. All he gets on the radio are hisses and pops. He sways back and forth like he's sitting in an invisible rocking chair. It's just not high enough, just not ready is all. He misses the comfort of the birds. He'd even welcome a greedy grackle right now. He spends the evening trying to tune into the moon, interrupted here and there by kitchen workers emptying garbage. He unplugs and retreats to the shadows when the back door swings open. Then, when they're gone, plugs back in, hoping to find the frequency for his wife. Can you hear me, honey? Claire, can you hear me? But the night only whispers static. Madman Morgan still knows a thing or two about brains. He remembers a long surgery working on an epileptic. He and his colleagues knew if they could only find the part of the brain that wasn't used for anything more than making the body convulse and cut it out, there was hope that the patient could live a normal life. Primitive ideas seem to work with the brain. If it takes a beating, drill a hole in the head and drain the fluid to ease the swelling. If part of it is acting up, simply find that part and cut it out. If something grows that shouldn't be there, cut it out and hope for the best. The best didn't happen with his wife, but Morgan helped give an 18-year-old a promising future by simply removing the part of the brain that brought about seizures. They woke the patient after exposing his brain to their prodding fingers, and then they mapped it. They asked the patient simple questions and stimulated parts of his brain with an electrode. They asked him what his favorite color was, touched a part of his brain, and he said, Cat! They touch parts that made him move his fingers and toes, and they touch parts that made his tongue tingle. They made him talk and twitch, a group of puppet masters with their prized marionette. Madman Morgan mapped brains and knew how to make them work. He also knew how to make them stop. He unplugs the radio and plugs in the drill. It doesn't hurt as much as he feared. The sounds from the busy kitchen drown out the sound of the drill, but it still echoes like a jackhammer in his head. Morgan knows he doesn't have much time. The moon only calls once a month. He pulls another drill bit from the case, the longest one. It glows in the moonlight like a bright key. He takes it in his left hand, picks up the hammer in his right, and drives the drill bit through everything that matters. Morgan's final thought is of his wife. Brian and Stuart argue about whose turn it is to take out the garbage from the kitchen, so their boss tells them to both do it. They open the back door to the restaurant. Holy shit, Brian says, not sure if he should be ill or sickly fascinated by the man on the pavement with the drill bit sticking out from his forehead. Isn't that that crazy guy who's always talking to birds? But Stuart doesn't hear Brian. He's looking toward the sky and saying, Hey, did you see that? I think a shooting star just hit the moon. A big thank you for listening to Not About Lumberjacks. All music by Ergo Fizmiz and Chad Crouch released under a Creative Commons license. Not About Lumberjacks is also released under a Creative Commons license. Visit nolumberjacks.com for information about the show, the voice talent, and the music. Next month, we celebrate the final days of summer with a bit of an homage to Ray Bradbury in a story about a group of kids who figures out how to separate themselves from their shadows. Until next time, be mighty and keep your axes sharp.